Well, good morning, Cross Point. So excited to be here today. Who's excited to be worshiping God this morning? Anybody? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm thankful to be here. Uh, last service, we had a couple of baptisms. It was so awesome to see a couple of young ladies baptized this morning, uh, fulfilling our mission as God's called us to. And so let's give that a, a round of applause real quick. Just those baptisms this morning, lives being changed. Well, for those of you, I know a lot of you are like, who is this guy? Uh, my name's Ross. I'm the student pastor here at Crosspoint. Yeah, yeah, got my fan club over there. Um, but I'm a student pastor here at Crosspoint. Uh, I've been here since July, and my role is to oversee our student ministries, our sixth grade through 12th grade, but also with the college ministry too. So I got a lot of, a lot of fans over here, at least I can call them fans. But I got a lot of great helpers uh, that help out with our student ministry too. Um, but I'm so excited to be here this morning. Um, I've been here for two months now. Uh, David just wanted me to get up here and and really just kind of get exposure so you can see me. You can know who I am. You've probably seen me walking around the hallways a little bit more recently, and you're like, who the heck is that guy? And well, I'm Ross. And so this morning, I just want to tell you one first, a little bit about me, um, a little bit about our student ministry, um, but then also dive into God's Word this morning. And so first off, just about me. I'm Ross. I said that already. But uh, I grew up uh, not far from here in Tifton, Georgia. I uh, had a great family. My parents are here this morning. Excited for them to be here. Um, but I had a great Christian home we grew up in. Um, I was saved at the age of nine, gave my life to the Lord then. Uh, in high school, I was called to ministry. Um, and during that time, I was like, I'm not really sure. I just know God wants me to go to student ministry. That was what I felt like he was calling me to. Um, and I love that quote, God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. One of my favorite quotes, I'm like, that's me. That's me. And so I wasn't the greatest speaker. I wasn't the greatest communicator. Um, I'm still not the greatest, but I think God's worked on me a lot over the last 10 plus years, and so I'm excited uh, just to be here. But after high school, uh, I ended up at a great little college called Valdosta State University. So it was, I was excited to move down here, um, start off my college career here, uh, went to VSU. We were here for four years, met my wife here, uh, met a lot of great friends here, and also met an awesome church, and that church was Crosspoint. And so I was here from 2007 to around 2011 at Crosspoint, just serving as a college student. I was able to help out in the student ministry as well. And so it was the first time I remember coming to Crosspoint, um, we were meeting in this small warehouse. I mean, the, the room was probably just as big as the center aisle. Um, and it was, it was, we were going that morning, and I was like, we're going to a warehouse? Like, this is like middle of Remerton? Like, what is this place? This isn't a church. And uh, I got there, and I realized it was. It was a community of believers who had gathered together. Um, it was a place where we could come, feel welcome, we could feel encouraged, we can be challenged, and then we can be equipped and sent out. And thank goodness and thank God that God is still doing that to this day, almost 10 years, over 10 years later. And so we got to, we got to Crosspoint, served there, loved it, had a lot of guys who just poured into me, poured into the guys around me. Um, and whenever I was uh, coming back recently, I was reminded uh, of some memories from whenever I got back. I, I love being here and seeing so many people I haven't seen in years uh, and just reconnecting. Well, my favorite memory, though, um, was one of the first few weeks we were here. Uh, we got here. We were going to eat with uh, Brother David at his house, uh, Pastor David at his house, and just have uh, a time of fellowship. And we get there, and Miss Linnell wasn't, wasn't the one that answered the door. It was somebody else that she kind of looked similar to Linnell, but she opened the door. She goes, I'm not Miss Linnell. That was the first thing she said. And I was like, who is this? And she said, but you may remember me. Uh, I, I won't say her name uh, just because to keep her anonymous, but she said, you may remember me because whenever I, you were in college, I came up to you and I said, hey, can I feel your hair? 
And if you have been around for a while, I, I had really long hair in college. It was down past my shoulders. It was really curly. All the girls were really jealous of it. And this lady had come up and she said, this one Sunday morning, I was a senior and, and she just comes up one, one day, just right in the back. She says, hey, I got a question. I was like, okay, I don't know you. She was like, I just really love your hair. Can I get a feel of it? And she just literally just grabbed the back of my hair and just like poofed it a little bit. And she just talked to me how much she loved my hair. And so she was the one that greeted me at the door that night. We had a lot of laughs. And she said, do you remember that at all? And I said, oh, yes, I remember that. <laughs> I have told many people that story over the years, and so it was, it was really cool to make those connections again, uh, to be back, and just to let you know, we left Crosspoint, uh, we graduated, we got married, um, moved up to Louisville, Kentucky, where I was able to go to seminary, um, we had an awesome time while we were there, we got to serve in various ministries, uh, various roles in different places, and, uh, and then eventually God brought us down to Hazelhurst, Georgia, small town, actually big town, real big town, you've probably heard of it, maybe not. But uh, over near Douglas, Georgia, uh, we spent the last two years there serving in student ministry at a, at a wonderful church there. And uh, while we were in, in Hazelhurst, there's no Target there. And so one day, Caroline was like, I got to go to Target. And you know where the closest one was, two hours away here in Valdosta. And so we also had friends that live here still. And, and so we came back and visited, reconnected with old friends, made some connections with other people we haven't talked to in years. And uh, over the next mo couple months, that connection brought us back, and now we're back at Crosspoint. And so I'm just thankful that, to be back at this place. Um, it was a long journey away, but I think God's going to use that time. He used it to equip us, to train us, to challenge us, just to get an experience. And, and we're thankful to be back to maybe bring those experiences back to Crosspoint. And just excited to be part of the faith family. This morning when I saw Jenny and Justin, I, I remember Jenny was here the same time I was. So that was a reunion for us as well. And so it's just great to have a faith family to come home to, a faith family to serve with. And it's really neat. Over the last probably seven years since we left, uh, we've always had just this, this desire to go back to Crosspoint. Maybe this desire just to, just to love that church. We're always thinking of Crosspoint. It was always the place that we think of. And that the fact that Christ brought us back, that God brought us back here to serve, um, it's just awesome. And we're so excited. And we think that because he kept putting it on our mind, it was because he knew we were coming back here one day, coming back to serve, coming back to bring uh, the gospel to Valdosta. And so that's a little bit about me. Um, but what about student ministry? So I'm over student ministry. What is our view of student ministry? Why do we even need student ministry? And when we look to Scripture... Uh, just think, for example, the disciples, the disciples of Christ. Were these guys like 30 or 40 years old? Do they have a solid business plan? Do they have uh, retirement saved up? No, they didn't. They were a bunch of teenagers. They were teenagers. They were young guys just learning, wanting to serve, wanting to, wanted to learn how to live this life. And, and Jesus brought them in, the ultimate Savior brought them in under his wings and trained them, brought them up. And because of those teenagers, that's why we're here today. That's why we gather here today. And so I believe that the, the, our young people in the church, our, our kids, all the way to our students, to our college students, to our young adults, although we may not get things right all the time, although we may make mistakes, we still are part of the church. We still are the hands and feet of Jesus. And that's, our, that's what we want to see is because there's a lot of kids that go, that if you look to our county schools, there's so many, there's so many, and can any of us just walk up into a school and start sharing Jesus? Pretty much impossible. And so our students 
should be being equipped to go into the school, be equipped to reach their teammates, their classmates, as well as our parents, our families, whoever it may be, be equipped to reach those who don't have Christ. And recently I was reading a book and it just, it was talking about what we view the church as, kind of the skewed view of the church here in America. And it gave three examples, and I think Crosspoint really exemplifies one of these examples. And the three examples, the first one was a battleship, a battleship. If you know anything about a battleship, it's the one that goes in. It's armored. It has uh, weapons. It's the one that goes into battle, the heat of battle. It's launching stuff off. It's just going to the front lines. And in the church, sometimes we think that the, the pulpit is that first place we should be, that should be tearing down the walls outside of us. It should be cutting people down who aren't doing right. And that's not the job of the church. The job of the church is to equip the saints for the work of the gospel. Another is a cruise ship, a cruise ship. I know a lot of y'all have been on a cruise before. I haven't ever been, but I would like to go. But I know that there's endless buffets, endless fun, endless entertainment. Um, and maybe you don't like what's going on in one cruise ship, and you're like, well, I really like this other cruise ship. I'm just going to go on that one next time. And maybe you like one part of this one, one part of that one, and you just do whichever you feel like on that certain day. And sometimes the church becomes that way. We just want to be entertained. We just want to have things to do. But the, what the church should be and what the church was created to be was this example of an aircraft carrier, an aircraft carrier. Like a battleship, an aircraft carrier does go to war, but it doesn't go all the way in. It gets far enough out that it can refuel, it can resupply, it can strengthen and encourage, repair, heal, whatever it needs to do, those people who are being sent out into the battle, being sent out into the world. And as the church, we should be a place that reminds people of their mission. When we gather here together, we're reminded of who God is and what he has created us to be. It should be a place of life change, a place of healing, and then a place to send people out into a lost and broken world to, to finish the mission that God gave us. And so that's my hope and my, and my just excitement about Crosspoint is Crosspoint is that. I've seen so many people that Crosspoint has sent out into the world. Every week at Student Ministry, we pray that we're sending our students out in the world. Same with college, we're sending them out into the world. While we're here, we're gathered together to worship God, to remember who we were and who we've become because of Christ. And that's our message this morning, too. Um, and, and this morning, we're continuing our message of new life. Pastor David started this a few, months, a few weeks ago, uh, looking at the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip over to Ephesians. And we're going to be looking at just the first few verses of chapter 2. And what Paul's doing here in Ephesians is we're just going to be unpacking the truth, the gospel, and, and just letting it equip us to go into the world. And so Paul today, he's going to remind us of our story, of our story of who we were and where we came from, but he's also going to remind us of God's immeasurable power that we saw last week in bringing death to life. And so as you're flipping to Ephesians, just to remind you what Ephesians is about. Ephesians uh, was a book written by Paul. He's most likely in prison writing this book to the church in Ephesus. And he's been describing who Christ is so far. He's been describing who we are in him and how we have spiritual blessings in Christ. He's describing the Holy Spirit coming into our lives. 
And also he's been describing the power of God that raised Christ from the dead. And this church in Ephesus is kind of close to his heart. It was a place that he visited on his missionary journeys, a place that means a lot to him. And he's wanting to strengthen them and encourage them. And if you know much about the city of Ephesus, it was a huge metropolis. It had all kinds of things going on. There was so many gods to worship, so many religions to follow, so many cultures to be around. It housed one of the largest libraries in the ancient world and also the largest temple in the ancient world, which was to the goddess of Artemis, which was one day the seven, one of the seven wonders of the world. And so Ephesus is this huge place of multi-religions, so many things going on. And for Christians, it was not the best place. They weren't really persecuted, but they only worshiped one God. So people kind of thought less of them because they thought, hey, you only worship one God. You're not near as good as me. You're not near as cultured as me. And so Christians were looked down upon. And so Paul's writing, like I said, under house arrest to encourage them and to keep them focused on who they are in Christ. And then also give them ways to thrive in a culture that's constantly pushing them down. And so that's what we're going to be seeing today. Uh, we're going to see how powerful God is and what he can do in and through Christ. And so before we do that, we're going to jump into the word. Uh, we're going to pray, and then we're just going to unpack this passage. So if you want to read with me in Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, chapter, one, verse, or ch- chapter 2, verse 1, and uh, then we'll pray afterwards. Father, it says in verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning just thankful for a place we can come and worship, thankful for a a church home we can come to, a family of faith followers that we can come and gather around and lift your name, be reminded of who you are, what you've done, how you have created us, and what you've created us for. Father, help us to remember that truth this morning as we just hear this word, we open up the word that was given to us, and we're reminded of who we were and what you have done on our behalf. Father, we praise you, we worship you this morning. Help us to cut the distractions out that are in our minds and focus on your word. In your name we pray, amen. So Paul begins this section. He's gonna remind us who we are, who we are. And he's shown us a picture painted here. And this, and this is kind of a full-length picture, not just like a snapshot, like a headshot, but a full-length picture showing who we are. And it's not gonna be very flattering either. And if you're like me, I, I always go with Caroline to my wife to the to like TJ Maxx, Ross, Target, and my the worst aisle to walk down is the mirror aisle. Anybody ever walk down the mirror aisle there? You're walking and you look by and there's like this full length shot of you and you're like, ugh. And you don't want to see that full length shot. You're like, that's not what I was expecting. And uh, and so this snapshot we're going to see this morning is is going to be a view that we don't really want to see. It's going to be a view that that shows our depravity, shows how lost and in need of a Savior we were. And sometimes we need that truth, though, right? We need to see the truth of who we are before we can go forward. I also was thinking through this passage, and it reminded me a few years ago of when me and my brother-in-law, he got an Xbox. And I know not all of y'all play video games, but you'll understand this. 
uh, he got a Connect, and with the Xbox Connect, it's like a little video thing. And so how it works is instead of using the controller, you use your body. You can like use your hands, movements, and it, it sees what you're doing. And this one game that he had, it would create a person that looked like you. And so all you had to do was stand up. You had to hold your hands out. You had to like spin, stand to the side, all this kind of stuff. And it would look at you and, and it would kind of analyze your body and then create something that looked like you. Well, when we got through, it made us, and both of us were like, that's not me. That is not me. And, and so I texted him the other day, just to be reminded, I was like, now, now do you remember when we did this a couple years ago? And he, this is what he texted me back. He said, you know, my face slightly looked like mine, but my body resembled the marshmallow man from Ghostbusters. And, and both of us had the same experience. We both did that, and we were like, that is totally not us. This thing's wrong. It's false. There's no way. And in reality, it was probably telling me the truth. It was probably telling me something that I didn't want to hear. It was devastating, seeing this full view of who I was. And so no matter whether it's flattering or not, we need to hear that truth, right? We need to hear who we are, who we were. And so as we dive into this passage, Paul's going to give us some news. He's going to give us some good news and some bad news. And the cool thing is the, the good news is going to be kind of scattered throughout the bad news, and we'll see it in just a little bit. But first, we're going to look at this bad news, the bad news. And the first thing is our status. What is our status that Paul gives us here? And we'll read verse 1. He says, our status, you were dead. You were dead. And so our status is spiritually dead. And Paul had just told the Ephesians how powerful God was. He had just told the Ephesians how great and mighty God was. And now he's going to give them an example. And he says, my example is you were dead. You had no hope. And everywhere in Scripture, when we see this idea of dead, it doesn't just mean partly dead. It means completely dead. It means completely separated. It means gone, no coming back. It means lifeless, separated from a living existence. And this death is not just a physical death. It's something much greater, and that's a spiritual death. He's stating this blunt news that you had no inclination to respond to God. You had no ability to please God. You were completely separated. And the area of our life that matters the most, that matters for eternity, is our spiritual life. And, and Paul's just going to say, listen, you didn't have one. One commentator said, our soul was so blind, it was blind to the reality, the demand, and the glory of Christ. You were as deaf to the Holy Spirit as a corpse. And then he specifically says, here in uh, just right in the next verse, he says, you're dead in trespasses and sins. Trespasses in this section means to slip, to fall, stumble, to just go in the wrong direction. And sin is similar. It means that it's the idea of missing the mark, not hitting the target, falling short of a goal or a purpose. In the spiritual realm, it stands for falling short of God's standard of holiness. Falling short of God's standard of holiness. And so Paul here, he's speaking to the church and he's telling them, you were dead. Here's the bad news. This is really bad news. You had no hope. And all these people in the church, there's a variety of people, a diverse group of people. Some people were new Christians. Some people had maybe been following God, not really done too many bad things in their life. Some had maybe lived a life completely opposite of God. 
So were these people more or less dead? I was saved when I was nine. Did I have time to murder anybody yet or do some kind of unthinkable sin? When I was in, in Louisville, I was able to serve in a prison ministry. And these guys had done some things I wouldn't even dare speak. But these guys have been changed by the gospel. These guys have given their life to Christ. These guys were just like you and me. Now, were either one of us more dead than the other? No, we weren't. Dead is dead. There is no dead, deader, or deadest. It's just one. It's just dead. Now, some may have a little more decay than the others, but we're still all dead. We still have no hope. We were both spiritually separated from that sweet communion of God. And so that's our status, our status. We were dead. So next we see Paul kind of goes into our cause of death. So what caused us to be in that state? What caused us to be so separated, so separated and far from God that we were considered dead? And Paul says our cause of death was disobedience. So look at verse two and three. It says, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so our status, we were dead. And our cause of death, it was disobedience. And it wasn't just because of the things we did. It was because of our nature. It was because of who we were. And before we get into that, Paul lists just a few reasons for our death. He says, first off, you followed the course of the world. We followed the prince of the air, as he puts it. We allowed Satan to rule in our lives. We allowed Satan to rule with his lies. And a prince implies that they rule. And Paul, he's talking about the devil here. He's talking about Satan. Satan influences the space of the air that is below heaven, above earth, the space that we inhabit he says, we've submitted to his authority. We've submitted to his lies. And the thing is, Satan's main focus is not just to get us to do bad things, but to think and believe evil things, especially about God. He slips those lies into our head about ourselves, about the people around us, about who God is, what he's actually done for us. And Paul says, you've been controlled by these things. You've submitted, you've followed these things. The next he says, we lived also by the passions of our flesh, the desires of our body, the desires of our mind. And our passions, our desires, unfortunately, they too have been stained. They've been tainted. They seek to satisfy just ourselves. But then Paul goes on, he says, but the main reason for your disobedience he says in verse three, and you are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Our very nature itself is stained. And why is that? Why is that? Why, how can Paul say that, that our nature itself is stained? Well, if we look to Genesis, we look all the way back to creation, to when God created things exactly how he wanted them to be. 
He put man in the garden. He put man in a place that was in a great communion with him. They were able to walk together in the cool of the day, it says. And he provided for them. He put them there to work the land, to, to enjoy it, to, to live a life that glorified God. But then we see in Genesis 3, Satan showed up. We all know this story. Satan showed up, and he started kind of tricking them. He said, no, no, no. God didn't say what, he, what you think he said. God had said that if they eat one certain fruit of the tree, that they were going to die. He didn't just say they were going to kind of die or maybe die. He said they were going to die. And so Satan sneaks up, and he, he lies. He says, oh, no way. You, you, you surely won't die. No way. Well, we all know the story, Genesis 3. They ate, and did they immediately just fall over and die? No, it wasn't a physical death. It was a spiritual death. God cursed them. God banished them. Before they even ate that fruit, they were already separated because they already had decided that they were going to do that. It wasn't the eating that, that separated them. It was just the thinking that got them to that point. They began to doubt God. They began to listen to the lies of the devil. And because of that, they were completely banished, completely separated from God. They died a spiritual death. And so that spiritual death was handed down. It was handed down to each and every single one of us. We can't do anything about it. All the good things we can do will never measure up to what God has called us to. It's part of our nature. It's part of our nature that we sin. One commentator said, committing sinful acts does not make us sinners. We commit sinful acts because we are sinners. And the bad news is because of Adam's sin, our relationship is torn between us and God. It is damaged. And the result, we're dead to God. And because of our sin, we can't step into God's presence because God is holy. He's righteous. He's just. He's perfect. And because of our unholiness, our unrighteousness, our unperfectness, we cannot step into his presence and so that's the bad news. That was the bad news. You ready for good news now? Yeah. The good news. All throughout this passage, we see the good news. Look at the words he used. In verse one, he says, and you were dead. He said, were. Verse two, he said, you once walked. Verse three, he said, you once lived and were by nature children of wrath. And so this, this idea he's painting is this miracle, this miracle. And that's the good news, is, our re, is God's resurrecting power, our miracle. And so he's writing to this group of believers, and he's painting this portrait, holding a mirror and saying, listen, this is why you even needed a Savior to begin with. Too often we forget that. We think, oh, I wasn't that bad, but I'll take Jesus too. No, we were these people. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We did follow the devil. We did follow the prince of the power of the air. We once lived in the passions of our flesh. We were by nature children of wrath. And so that's why we need a savior. That's why Christ even came in the first place. And Paul's wanting to remind them that and say, listen, this is the reason he even came. You were dead. You once walked. You once lived. But God's in the resurrecting business. God's in the resurrecting business, bringing the dead to life. Just in the passages before, we were reminded that Christ was raised from the dead. He didn't just halfway die. He died on the cross. He was gone. He wasn't breathing. 
There's no life in him. But yet God raised him back from the dead, proving who he was, proving that he had defeated sin, defeated death. And if Jesus, Jesus physically died on the cross and was raised again, we too, Paul says, as we've been raised again. We were dead, but through Christ, now we are alive. And so this good news has been throughout the whole bad news. This good news that we were dead, but now we are alive. And so Paul, the whole time, he's just bringing this bad news. He's trying to remind them of who they were and who they're going to be, who they are now. And so the fact that we were dead and now alive, it has nothing to do with what we did. It has nothing to do with what you did last week or the week before. The reason we can be alive now is because what God did. Because God showed his grace and mercy on us. And so as we just close out thinking about this passage today, the van's gonna come up here in just a few minutes. But this is a challenge to us. I look around this room and I know a lot of people. I see a lot of great faces. I see a lot of servants. But we have to ask this question today. Does this passage describe our current state of affairs, our current life? Or is this passage describing our past life? Is it describing our story? Because if it's describing your current state of affairs, brother and sister, you need Jesus. You're still spiritually dead. You're still separated from Christ. You're still separated from true life, from new life. One commentator said, we live in a spiritual graveyard. We live in a spiritual graveyard. There are people all around us who are dead. Our coworkers, our friends, our family members, our classmates, our clients, whatever it may be, people all around us are dead. And John MacArthur, a great pastor, he said, when... Men apart from God are spiritual zombies. They are the walking dead who do not know they are dead. They go through the motions of life, but they do not even possess it. There are dead people all around, and they don't even know it. They're physically alive, yet spiritually dead. There's people in this room in the same way. Physically alive, but spiritually dead. They walk around like they have life, but they don't even truly possess it. So there's no greater call on any of our lives than to share that message with others. Share that life with others. We have to hear this message. We have to respond. We have to be moved. We must cut out whatever is keeping us from living this new life that Christ has given us. Because God's made us alive. Are you actually living that way? Are you actually living that way? And as a community of believers, as a pastor to students here at Crosspoint, we have to look to this passage and realize this describes the, the current culture around us. This describes the world all around us. There are people who are spiritually dead all around us, and what are we doing are we just being entertained? Are we just letting other people do the work of the church? Are we stepping forward in faith and, and living out God's calling or a life to share that message with others? Like I said earlier, we have to have that mindset of 
This is a place where we come and we are equipped, we are challenged, we are moved, we are molded, we are shaped in the image of God. But when we walk out, what are we doing? Do we just go back into that old mold, that old image that we were? Are we going to leave here and go out and share the love of Christ and share the message of life change, share the message of death to life with the world, with our coworkers? It doesn't have to be strictly with just going and and beating people upside the head with your Bible. Just live a life that's different. Live a life that God's called you to. And so Christ, he laid down his life so that you could live. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to live in that reality, or are you just going to take advantage of it? What are you doing now that you are alive? That's the challenge today. The good news is we have been made alive through Christ. The next verse says, but God in his infinite mercy showed us grace that we didn't deserve. So this morning, how are you living that life? Are you still dead or are you alive?